Hayden Norris. This is the first time Hayden has been on campus. He's only been in Nebraska about eight months. He's the pastor at Cross Point Bible Church in Omaha. And eight months ago, he was in California, and now he's here, and it's a little chillier. So let's welcome Pastor Norris. Well, take your Bibles. This is bigger than my pulpit. <laughs> take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 1. Thank you for the invite, for, for bringing me here. Um, I got in a car at 5.45 in the morning and drove in the dark. And about halfway through, I thought, good thing I trust uh, Mr. Gordon because uh, I have no idea where I'm at. And it was dark, and this is far out here, but thank you for inviting me. Colossians chapter 1, I have, uh, my, like, like Pastor said, um, my name is Hayden Norris. I have three kids. I have uh, Ben. Susanna and Adrian, I have a 16, 14, and a 12-year-old, so um, there's the bio, and we'll jump into this, this scripture together. I've been preaching at Crosspoint through the book of Colossians, and we have arrived in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, at like the mountain peak of Colossians. The whole point of Colossians is this. Paul is sitting in prison, he's never met the people he's writing to, and he's trying to remind them one thing, of one major thing, and it's this, that you need to put Christ in first place. Christ in first place. Not second place, first place. Say that with me, first place. Oh, come on, you can do better than that. First place, right? First place. Christ needs to be in first place in your life. A lot of times, though, we make other things first place in our lives. Sometimes we make our problems first place. And we become depressed when things don't go the way that we want them to go. Or we make our future first place. And fear takes over because we don't know what's coming around the corner. Or we look at our past, and shame takes over. But Christ needs to be first place in your life. If you jot some notes down, here's the first thing I want you to jot down. It's this. Very, very clearly in the passage we're going to be looking at today, it's this. Jesus is bigger than you can imagine. Jesus is bigger than you can imagine and closer than you can fathom. Jesus is bigger than you can imagine and closer than you can fathom. He's both of those things. We're going to see that clearly in Colossians chapter 1. Let me read this, and we're going to have to hit this pretty quickly because this is like the, the most dense part of Colossians chapter 1 is right here, and uh, you'll see it as we, as we get into it. Colossians chapter 115, follow along as I read it. He, speaking of Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. 
and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Verse 21, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. See, Jesus is bigger than you can imagine and closer than you can fathom. So let me give you 10 reasons. And you're sitting there going, 10 reasons, man. We, we don't have a lot of time here. So we're going to just blow through this passage. I'm going to give you 10 reasons why you need to put Christ in first place. The first one's right here at the beginning. It's this. Christ shows us the Father. He shows us the Father. In your Bible, circle that word image right there. He is the image of God. He's the image of the invisible God. He's not an image. He's the image, the image of God. It speaks of not him um, looking like God, but perfectly representing God to us. John chapter 118 John chapter 14, 19, look these up. Jesus reminds us that if you want to see the Father, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Now, how does this apply to you and I? Well, you maybe want to know what God is like. What is God the Father like? Does God forgive sin? You know what the answer to that is? Look at Jesus. Look at the cross. If you're worried if God forgives sin... Look at Jesus as he hung upon the cross for our sins. We, we know that God forgives sin. Does, does God care for the poor and helpless people of the world? The answer to that question is this. Look at Jesus. Did Jesus care for the poor and helpless of the world? Absolutely. Does God accept me? Does God accept me? The answer to that question is the same answer again. Look at Jesus. If you want to know what the Father is like, look at Jesus. That's where, where, where Paul starts right here in the beginning. You know, and I don't want to assume, because we're at a Christian school, this is Nebraska, Christian Eagles, that everyone here has a vibrant relationship with Jesus. But you can. It's really simple. We need to all remind ourselves that we're sinners and Christ is the Savior. He came and lived the perfect life that none of us live and died the death that every single one of us deserves. We just put our faith, our trust in Christ, and we can be reconciled to God the Father. We can see the Father for who he is in Jesus Christ. The first reason you need to put Christ in first place is because he shows you the Father. Secondly, we're going to go quick. He's unique. He's unique. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. Circle that word firstborn. 
the firstborn of all creation. He's actually in first place is what it's saying. It's not saying that he was a created being. It's not saying that Jesus was created. It's not saying that. It's saying that he's in first place. He's prominent. He's preeminent. Jesus is first in priority. The question is, who is like Jesus? And the answer is no one. No one. He is unique. He's the firstborn of all creation. Next, it says also, number eight, he is creator. For by him, all things were created. I want you to think about this. Jesus Christ spoke everything into existence. Everything was spoken to existence. Genesis 1 and John 1 testify to this truth. You know, I've been to some cool places in my life. All around the world. Have you guys traveled much outside of Nebraska? Anybody gone anywhere really cool that they'd love to share? Where have you gone? Anybody been to Grand Canyon? Any, any, any raising? Pretty cool place, right? It's kind of like big and it makes you feel really small. I've been places like Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, on the 44th floor. Um, I stayed in, a, in someone's home that lived on the 44th floor, and there were many floors above us, and I'm afraid of heights. So you can see how well that went when they wanted to have uh, breakfast on the patio with like this teeny tiny railing there. I was like, ooh, okay. Anyhow. Jesus created all of those things from the Grand Canyon to the big buildings, everything. He is the creator of it all. I want you to look around this room. Look around this room. You, you can look up. You don't have to take notes on this. Look around this room. Jesus created everyone in this room. And I know you guys are probably familiar with each other. You're like, yeah, I know this person. It's a small school, you know. Yeah, I've gone to school with this person since kindergarten, you know, some of you. But never forget this, this fact. You've never locked eyes with someone that's not made in the image of God. He's the creator of us all and of everything. Number seven, he is supreme. He is supreme. If you want to use a big theological word, write down the word sovereign. Or if you don't know how to spell that, just write down king. He's king of it all. Look at verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Jesus isn't just some higher angel. He created the angels. He created everything everything. Now, why is Paul focusing on this? Because at this time in the book of Colossians, the people he's writing to were starting to worship angels. And he's saying, look, no, 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 no. Don't worship the messenger. Don't worship the delivery boy. Worship the one who created it all. See, in our culture, many people don't care if Jesus is prominent just as long as he isn't preeminent just as long as he's not in first place do you understand what i mean by that a lot of people don't mind if there's cross necklaces or if jesus is around 
but they don't want him to be in first place. And what Paul is reminding us is he is in first place. He is supreme overall. Number six, he is our purpose. We've been counting down from 10 to one. So if you're like, man, this numbering system isn't working. Sorry, I forgot to tell you that. He is our purpose. All things were made for him. You were created to glorify God. Everybody's like, uh -huh. let me back up because that was a really good place for an amen, okay? You were created to glorify God. Amen, right? You were created to glorify God. Your purpose statement should read this. Glorify God. In every place, in everything, glorify God. That's why you were created. That's why you woke today was to glorify God. Isaiah 43, verses 6 and 7 says this. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my story, for my glory, sorry, whom I formed and made. God created us for his glory. I want you to write your name down. Just in your notes right there, write your name down. Nice and easy. Whatever your name is. And here's what I want you to write after that. Created to glorify God. So mine would be Hayden created to glorify God. That's why you were created. That's why you exist today. That's why you can take a breath is to glorify God. He created you for him. And I haven't told you all my testimony. I didn't grow up in a Christian family. I, 27 years, ran away from God. Far, far away from God. It was in a coffee shop in Mobile, Alabama, that I met the Lord. The coffee shop name, I don't know if they teach you Latin here, was Carpe Diem. Do you know what Carpe Diem means? Seize the day. And so here I am sitting in a coffee shop and some Christians are talking about Jesus Christ. I'm in the Navy. I'm working in the United States Navy at this point. I'm a hospital corpsman, which means I'm a medic, basically. And I hear some people talking about Jesus Christ and talking about who he is. And I'm like, I've heard about Jesus Christ, but I... I've never heard that about Jesus Christ. And they invited me to church. And, you know, many years later, because I was 27, I got saved. So that was like last week, right? Because I'm, oh, I'm only 28, right? You guys can laugh at that. That's, it's like, no. <laughs> I came to know Christ in a very unusual way. But one of the things that was impressed upon me earlier as a Christian is that God used all of my life before him and all of my life after him, after coming to know him, to glorify him. And I want you to hear that at a very young age. You were created to glorify God. Number five, 
He is eternal. It says this, he is before all things. Literally, in the original translation, is it, this is how it's translated. Before all things, he is. Just like we were singing. Before all things, he is. It's like exclamation point after exclamation point. He has no beginning and no end. How do we figure that one out? Jesus is eternal. We are temporal, right? We have a beginning and an end on this earth, and we will live eternally with him if we know him, right? That's a, that's a good thing. But it's really hard to wrap your mind around the fact that he is eternal. So I once heard a, a pastor describe it this way. How many of you have ever been to a parade? Or seen a parade? All right. You can go to a parade, right? And you can sit in one place on the parade route. And you can sit somewhere else on the parade route. And you can sit somewhere else on the parade route. The floats come down the street, and, and you see things uh, if you're sitting here in one way. The other person sees it much later. But if you were above the parade route, it would be all continuous. Jesus doesn't exist in time. There's no progression, although he was in time. See, it's kind of one of those head-exploding things. He's outside of time, but he entered into time so that we would know him. He is eternal. And you can just work on that in your groups and tell me if you ever figure that one out fully, okay? Because I want to hear. I want to hear a report back as to how do you really wrap your mind around that one because it's, it's huge. He's eternal. Number four, he is the sustainer of everything. If you want to write down a word, write down the word providence. Providence. Verse 17, he's before all things, and in him, all things hold together. Jesus is the power behind every mysterious force. Why do electrons stay a certain distance from the nucleus? Answer, Jesus. Why is the earth the perfect distance from the sun to sustain life? Answer, Jesus. Why does my hand wander around the Chick-fil-A bag looking for an extra waffle fry? Answer, my lack of self-control. Not Jesus, right? I'm, I'm always looking for that extra bonus fry. Can I get him into that? <laughs> we live, I want you to hear this. We live in a Christocentric world. A Christ-centered world. Whether we agree with it or not, whether we identify it or not, we live in a Christ-centered world. A Christocentric world. A Christocentric universe. He is the sustainer of everything. Counting down, we're at number three right here. Also, he is the head of the church. He's the head of the church. And he is the head of the body, the church, 
we'll just stop right there. He is the head of the body. I don't know what your relationship is with your local church, but I can tell you this. You can't give up on the church because Jesus hasn't. He is the head of the church. You can't love the head and hate the body, which is the church. I know right now in our society, there's this push that, like, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. Impossible. It's impossible. Because the church is the body of Christ. It would not be a good marriage if someone said to their wife, hey, I love love your head, honey, but, you know, the rest I'm not so great with. That would be a horrible marriage, right? And we would, like, chastise that person for that. That's what we're like when we say, oh, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. Jesus is the head of the church, and he loves her. He gave himself up for her. I got to keep moving because I keep going on with that. Number two, we're almost there. He's the victor over death. Verse 18, he's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn, circle that word firstborn, from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. Here's what this means. Jesus is the first one to, to conquer death. Not Buddha, not Joseph Smith, not Mohammed. Jesus conquered death. He is your victory. In Christ, you have power over death living within you if you are in Christ. A lot of songs talk about resurrection power living in me. I like that terminology. He is the victor over death. And we're going to get to number one right here. He is his father's delight. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. It says the fullness of God without mixture dwells in Jesus. Jesus completely is full of the Father. That terminology, full, fullness. What you are full of is what controls you. If you're full of anger, you're controlled by anger. If you're full of fear, you're controlled by fear. He is the fullness of God. Now you're supposed to look at a list like this, verses 15 through 20, and go like, that's a lot. And that's the point. Paul, as the writer of this, wants you to be overwhelmed with who Jesus Christ is. He wants you to be overwhelmed. He wants you to think, like, I can't even comprehend all this. Because Jesus is bigger than you can imagine. And I think part of the problems that we have in life is we like to shrink Jesus down to size. But he's bigger than you can imagine. And closer than you can fathom that's the second piece look at verse 21 and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue to the faith stable 
and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This amazing, huge picture of Jesus stooped down to us, became a child, grew up, lived the perfect life that we don't live, and died to death that we deserve so that we could be reconciled to God the Father. That is a monumental truth for us. And as I was thinking through this, and I know this is a lot, we basically looked at Mount Everest, and instead of taking a nice walk up Mount Everest, we sprinted up of it. It was like we ran full force up one of the, the biggest passages in all of Colossians. And hopefully in your groups, you kind of talk about this a little bit more. One of the things I want you to think about is what one of the, these 10 points kind of impressed you, like really resonated with your heart. And how are you going to apply that to, to your life? For example, here's just an example. Don't use this one. But he is creator. How is that going to affect your life today? The fact that Jesus is creator. Well, Jesus created everything. So I should give praise and thanks to him for everything. Even when it's uh, 50 degrees one day and 10 degrees the next day. I've heard that about Nebraska. If you don't like the weather, just wait 15 minutes. I've been told that. Um, I'm kind of getting into that, 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 that mindset. He's the creator. He's created everything. You know, try and think of an application of who he is and how this applies to you today. You know, one thing I like to do in my spare time, and I, I, I won't say that I'm very good at it, but I like to do it, is I like to write prose and poetry. So I want to share a poem I wrote when I preached through uh, this with my church. It goes something like this. I hope, hope it's helpful to you. We'll end with this after this. I titled it, What Should I Do With Jesus? <laughs> what should I do with Jesus Christ? The man from Nazareth, the carpenter's son who spoke the truth and didn't run. So they falsely accused him and abused him by nailing him to a block of wood. Yet three days later, he rose from the grave as only he could. What should I do? With Jesus. Well, I can domesticate him, you know, put him in a cage, make him safe and manageable, treat him like some sage, a man of deep teaching that doesn't demand too much of me, Mr. Rogers, who invites me, his neighbor to be. What should I do with Jesus? Well, maybe I'll diminish him, shrink him down to size so I can comprehend him, relate to him, and determine if he's wise. You know, just enough of Jesus to be informed but not transformed. Just enough of Jesus to be calmed but not convicted. A pound of Jesus in a paper sack. Three dollars worth of Jesus. Can I get a little bit of that? I mean, what should I do with Jesus? 
I can detach from him, relate to him as a faraway king, too busy to be active, my request to bring. So high up there that he can't see me down here, present, but not present here. Kind of like a fly on the wall or the man upstairs who might not take my call. What should I do with Jesus? Well, one word comes to mind. It's the word worship. Worship. Because he's not safe. I mean, he's the line of the tribe of Judah. Worship because he isn't small. He's the infinite who became finite for the sins of the finite. Worship because he's calling out to you today. Because he is near. And he is here. And he hears and he cares for you and for me. Worship Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one that made me and isn't done remaking me. Let's pray, and we're going to turn it over to your, your teachers and your group leaders. And hopefully, just, just today, you just have one thing to think about as to how Jesus impacts your life, intersects with your life here today at school as you go throughout the school day. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you will take these many words, far too many words in a very short time, and you'll speak directly to each of our hearts one word, a word of comfort, a word of care, a word of encouragement through your written word, Lord. And pray for us today as we go about our day that we wouldn't go about our day detached from who you are. But we would be so greatly encouraged by our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, may he not become so common, his name not become so common to us that we are not impacted by what he has done for us. Lord, help each and every one of us to live each day for the glory of Christ. And know that when we reach the end, we will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for this day. Help us to live for you in Jesus' name. Amen.